Well, good morning. All right, we're there today, good. Well, I missed you all last week. I was at our Benicia campus saying hello to them. And I want you to know that what I learned last week is that our Benicia campus is so excited about us here. They are thrilled that we are a part of their family and they're super excited. In fact, I think that a few of them are gonna be sneaking over here every once in a while because they heard how awesome we are over here in San Francisco. So I know that you have brothers and sisters over in the East Bay that are praying for you every single day and they're praying for you even right now. And so I think that we could do the same for them, yeah? And pray that God is made famous over there on the other side of the bay as well. But I am so glad to be back here. We are in the fourth week of our series on David. That first week we talked about one of the most famous stories in the Bible, David and Goliath, where we saw how David put his trust fully in who God was, and God gave him the victory and he was able to kill the giant. Then we saw the second week as David turned that trust into himself, where he started to worry about self-preserving. The self-preservation took over, and it led to deceit, which led to an entire town being slaughtered. But we saw how David, the good leader that he was, took responsibility, he repented, and he reoriented his life back to trusting in God again, which was good hope for me, who messes up all the time and who's really glad that God gives us a chance to reorient every time. And then last week, Larry shared with you here, and I shared with Benicia this story. You got to meet one of my favorite characters in David's story, Abigail. Was she not just the coolest lady you've ever heard? She has Jedi master level mind tricks, and she was able to share her wisdom in bravery to David and taught him a little bit about grace. When David wanted justice, she suggested grace, and it turned David um, from making a horrible, horrible decision. Well, today we're going to continue to move forward in the storyline of David. We're going to see that he finally does eventually become king of Israel, but we have to start by going backwards in his story a little bit. We have to pick up from where we skipped over the very first week. This is before he ever became famous for killing the giant. We're going back to the very, very beginning. And you can find David's story in the Old Testament, which is the first half of the Bible, mostly in the books of First and Second Samuel. And today we're going to hop through both of those books. So if you want to take your Bibles out, you're welcome to do that. If you want to bring it up on an app, but we also will have the scripture up on the slides so you can follow along there. Well, have you ever heard the phrase, trust the process? You ever heard that? Trust the process. It's usually somebody's really smart way of saying be patient. Just trust the process. Trust the process. Well, a little trivia. That phrase was actually made famous by a man named Sam Hinkey, who was a formal general manager of the 76ers, and he was asked by a bunch of reporters why he kept letting his team tank their schedule. Okay, he just kept letting them lose worse and worse and worse, and it was so that they could get better picks in the draft. And he was like, just trust the process, trust the process. Well, that year, they made a really good pick, Joel Embiid, who nicknamed himself The Process. This great draft pick who is now a really big deal and is starting to save that team. He has now called himself The Process. Now, I know all of this because my husband follows the sports ball, and he told me all about it, um, because that's not the kind of sports ball that I follow. So I know this. Um, 
But I think you'll find today that we could nickname David the process. Because this whole story, these last few weeks, we've watched him struggle and we've watched him journey through a really long time. And we'll see today how David continues to trust the process. Will you pray with me before we dive into scripture? Father, we love you. We trust you. Father, thank you for being willing to meet us here and teach us. Holy Spirit, please speak through your word. We love you. It's in your son's name, Jesus, that we pray these things. Amen. All right, we're going to pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 16. At this point, if you remember, God has removed his blessing from the current king, King Saul, and he is ready to go find the next king. And he gives that job to a prophet named Samuel. And he sends him out to Bethlehem. Sound familiar? Bethlehem, where Jesus was born. But this time, many years before that, he sends him to a house of a man named Jesse. And he says, this is the house. This is where you're going to find the new king. So we're going to pick up in verse 6. It says, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Eliab was Jesse's oldest son. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Samuel walks into the house and Jesse brings his sons into the room and Samuel's ready. He's ready to go, okay, which one of these looks kingly? So he looks at the oldest boy and he goes, oh, this is easy. He's tall, he looks strong, he's the oldest. This has got to be the guy. And God says, no, 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 not this one. So Samuel swipes left on Eliab, and then Jesse parades the rest of his six sons in front of Samuel. And each time, God says, nope, not that one. Nope, not that one. And at the end of this parade of seven boys, Samuel looks around and is a little concerned because there's nobody left. And so we pick up in verse 11. It says, so we ask Jesse, the father, are these all the sons you have? Well, there's still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. Jesse didn't even invite his youngest son. He left him out taking care of the sheep. He was completely overlooked. He didn't even get an invitation to the party. So Samuel makes them all just stand there staring at one another. Who knows how far away the sheep are? He says, we're not even going to sit down until this guy gets here. God said that the king would be here and none of you are it. So let's wait for the sheep boy. Let's bring him in. And when David walks in, verse 12, the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, hear this, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Now scholars think this happened when David was between 10 and 15 years old. 10 and 15 years old. He was just a boy a boy who probably went back out later that day to tend his father's sheep, still dripping with the oil that was meant to make him king. 
Can you imagine? I don't know what your day might look like if you got told you're royalty, but it would not include me going out and following sheep around. But David went back to his life. This is the same boy that just a couple years later was sent to take lunch meat and cheese to his brothers who were the real men, the real soldiers. And while he was there, his father wanted to get the gossip, find out what's happening in the battle. Go tell me, you're not big enough to fight, but go, go see your brothers, see what they're doing. And we know what happened. David did eventually deliver the lunch and he happened to slay a giant while he was there. It's the same boy, the same one. This is the one, he heard. Now go back to the sheep. You will be king, he was told. But first, play music for this king. You are the greatest warrior, King Saul and the whole nation said. But now I want to kill you. That's the life that David led. But he was trusting the process. Trust the process. What is the process? We learn God's will, God's way, in God's time. God's will, God's way, in God's time. So skip with me to a few pages over to chapter 24. Start in verse 4. It says, um, this is the middle of the chase. Okay, so King Saul has already decided that David's a great warrior. He brought him in the army, but now he hates him because he got more popular than Saul and he started to get a little bit worried. So this is the middle of the chase. He has been on a murderous hunt for David and he just got word on his location. He was on his way when, I'm not joking, this isn't me, this is the Bible. It says that King Saul needed to relieve himself. Yes, nature called. Saul saw a cave and he was like, Sorry, guys, I got to go. And so he goes into the cave, but unbeknownst to him, David and his men were in the back of that same cave. Have you ever walked in on somebody when they're trying to go to the bathroom? This is kind of what happened. Only David and his men were completely hidden. King Saul just walked in. Verse 4, David's men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed, and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. David's men were like, this is it. He literally walked in to go to the bathroom. He walked into our cave. It's you, it's go time, get him. And so David crept up and cut off a corner of his robe. Can you imagine the men? They were probably like, no stupid, that's not what I meant. This is your chance. Do with him as you wish. He's tried to kill all of us. Take him. And instead of doing any of that, David feels guilt for cutting off the corner of his robe. Guilt immediately washes over David. He tells his men to stand down. He waits for Saul to leave the cave and he follows him out. And then David calls to the man, the king, who's been trying to kill him, the one who has the throne he has been promised. And he says this, verse 24, May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. Trust the process. God's will, God's way, in God's time. 
So Saul goes home. David and his men stay out in the wilderness. They have their encounter with Nabal and Abigail like we saw last week. Then Saul gets all whipped up again like he forgot the whole thing where David let him go. He gets all whipped up again. Somebody tells him, hey, I know where David is. It's time. Go get him. And so Saul goes after him. He made camp and lays down for the night. David sees the camp. He takes one of his men with him. And then in chapter 26, verse 7, it says this. So David and Abishai went to the army by night. And there was Saul lying asleep inside the camp with his spear stuck in the ground near his head. Abner and the soldiers, that was um, Saul's men, were lying around him. Abishai said to David, Today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't strike him twice. This time he's smarter than sending David because he knows David won't do it. But David said to Abishai, Don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him or his time will come and he will die or he will go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Trust the process. God's will, God's way in God's time. So Saul goes home again. David keeps running because he's not a daft fool. He knows that Saul will come after him again. David ends up fighting the Amalekites. Saul gets into a skirmish and another battle with the Philistines. And as often happens in war, Saul doesn't make it this time. In battle, Saul and three of his sons, including Jonathan, the one who was very best friends with David, were killed. David mourns their death. He mourns the death of his best friend, but he also mourns the death of the king of Israel, the one who is sitting on the throne he was promised. Eventually, David asks the Lord if he should go up to Hebron since it's safe now, a town that is in one of the 12 tribes of Israel. It's called Judah. God says yes, and he settles with his growing army in that town, and that town anoints him king of Judah. Not Israel yet, but Judah. This is David's second anointing. Trust the process. God's will, God's way, in God's time. And then we turn over into 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 10. It catches us up. Ishbosheth, son of Saul, was 40 years old when he became king over Israel. So they had Saul's son become king which is problematic because we'd already anointed another king of Israel, but they said, no, 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 this has got to stay in the family. We're going to bring Ishbosheth. The tribe of Judah, however, remained loyal to David. The length of time David was king in Hebron over Judah was seven years and six months. So Saul's dead, and he still is waiting to become the king that he was told he would be for another seven and a half years. And during those seven and a half years, chapter three, verse one tells us that David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. At this point, the story of David and Ishbosheth, Saul's son, turns into a bit of a soap opera, if I'm being honest. It gets real weird. There's murders, there are alliances, there's wife stealing. It all gets very, very crazy. And David, though, stays pretty innocent. 
He stays trusting this process. Now his men this time, they have moved on to not even talking to him about it. They take matters into their own hands and kill King Ishbosheth. They tell David proudly. They come back and they're like, look what we've done. See, we fixed it for you. And David, instead of being proud, is angry and he punishes them. But David was willing to trust the process. His men didn't understand, but David was willing to trust God's will in God's way in God's time. And now we made it. We made it. The day he was promised when he was just a boy. So we're going to pick up in chapter 5 of 2 Samuel. We're almost done with our journey for today. Chapter 5. It says, all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, we are your own flesh and blood. In the past, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, you will shepherd my people Israel and you will become their ruler. When all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 40 years. Third time was a charm. Third anointing was the one that David knew was the same as the very first. He trusted the process, and now he was king. He was king over all of Israel. Can you imagine, though, he was 30, is said, when he became king. But he was anointed the first time when he was 10 or 15? How do you walk around knowing you're king but not king for that long? It's interesting because when you trust the process, this God's will, God's way, and God's time process, it puts you in a completely different posture. And that's the posture I want to learn from today. It puts you in a posture of humility. And when you walk through life with that posture, it changes how you treat people. It makes you do crazy things, like not killing a man that was trying to kill you for years. It may make you look strange, but it certainly puts you in a place to be blessable. It keeps you in that space because trust is lived out in humility. You can tell how much you're trusting by how much humility that you're having in that moment. We see it in Jesus' life too. If you would, turn over to the New Testament in John. This is story of Jesus' life. John chapter 13. It says this. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Sound familiar? Jesus had already had the anointing. He knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, because he knew that, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. 
Then go to verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Jesus, the one who was present at the creation of the world, the one who already knew that he was king. There was no question in Jesus' mind whether or not he was the son of the living God, none at all. And yet he still took the posture of a servant. He took the posture of a slave and washed his disciples' feet. This posture of humility. There was full trust in the process. And he washed his disciples' feet and he said, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to love one another. This is what it looks like to trust the process, to serve one another. So just as I've done for you, you do for each other. If we trust God in the process, we will live our lives in a posture of humility. We will live our lives serving one another. Whether we think each other deserve it or not, there are days, people, there are days where it's easy to serve. And then there are Monday through Saturday and most of Sunday. (laughs) I get it. It's hard. It's hard. Sometimes we think we deserve more than that, right? But trusting the process, God's will, God's way in God's time puts us in a posture of humility. And this is exactly what Jesus did. He kept that posture of humility all the way to the cross, where he became obedient to death. As king of the world, do you think he needed to do that for him? No, that was for us, for me, for you. He kept that posture of humility. He was willing to be humble so that we could have a relationship with him forever. Maybe that's something you want. A relationship with the creator of the world, does it sound crazy to you? It should. But it's what he wants. It's what he created us for, is to be in relationship with him. And if you don't have that yet, but it's something you want, but you're worried You say, listen, lady, you don't know what I've done. I don't deserve that. I don't. You are correct. You don't. Neither do I. Neither does anyone here. But we know there's nothing so dead that God cannot resurrect it. There is nothing so broken that he cannot mend, and there's nothing so lost that he cannot find it. So if you want a relationship with that king, the one who would humble himself to be in relationship with us, not out of pity, out of love, because he wants relationship with us, we'd love to help you take that first step today. We'd love to help you walk. We'll have prayer partners down in front 
today after service. You're welcome to come and have them pray with you. We also have a journal right out there. This is a free gift for anyone that wants to start that relationship. It's 21 days that will start walking you toward understanding how the creator of the world could ever want a relationship with someone like me or someone like you. This is our gift to you. You can go out to the table and grab one of these. And maybe you know that you want a relationship with him, but you're not quite buying this Jesus stuff yet. We'll give you one of these too. We read the end. We know how this goes. We'd love to offer you an opportunity to figure that out on your own. And we'd love to walk with you to start that as well. But you know, there's something for each of us here. Whether you are a programmer or a school teacher, blue collar, white collar, stay at home parent or CEO, trust is lived out in humility. So how might you need to live out trust this week? What is that space in your life where you're really having a hard time trusting the process? where you are fighting and throwing elbows and you know you need to relax and trust in God's will, God's way, in God's time. Where do you need to take the position of a servant, the posture of humility? What step do you need to take even today that can help you start walking that out? We'd love to be a part of that. Will you stand with me as we close today? Like I said, we'll have prayer partners out here in the front. If, you are, if you're even struggling with the idea of finding that posture, if there's something that has just, man, the process seems so long. It seems so hard. Sometimes we need each other to hold each other up. You know, I have a team of uh, people that pray for me. And as we've walked through this process of moving here, and we've walked through other parts of that were just hard in our family's life. They've prayed us through, and there were times where it felt like we were physically being held up by people's prayers. There were days where success looked like still breathing at the end of the night. And I believe it was their prayers that held us up. So if you want that, we would love to be a part. We have prayer partners right here that would love to pray with you and hold you up as you trust the process. We weren't made to do it alone. I do want to thank you for coming to church with me today. Thank you for being here. If you're a guest with us, we do. We want to shake your hand and say hello. We have a special gift for you out there. All we ask is that you'd give us a couple weeks. I mean, sometimes we're weird on the first try. Give us a couple weeks. See what we're like. We'd love to get to know you. See where you might fit in. We'd love that. We'd love to get to know you. And I do want to take a moment again and say thank you for your generosity. Because you have been generous, God is doing great work here, right here on the corner of Valencia 24th, all over the city. And frankly, your generosity reaches all over the world. It's making a difference. So thank you for that. If this is your first week that you're going to do Dollar Club, we'd love for you to be a part of that. It's a great first step. You can drop those in the boxes as you leave today. And as we do every week, I'd love to leave you with a blessing. So we just take this posture where you hold your hands out in a posture of receiving. May God show you this week how to lean into the process. May he give you a glimpse of how much he has this in control. And may you be held up by your brothers and sisters here so that you can take the posture of humility and we can show the world how much God loves them. I love you guys. I'll see you next week.